Amen. Thank you. Love you. Good morning. Uh, this is great. This is my favorite thing in the world to do. This right here. Be together with you guys. Um, and uh, I'll, I will be, I'm just going to be really forthright right now. It's because I'm in the mood. Yeah? All this vulnerability and openness all weekend has got me like... Guys, I... Okay, I'm... Uh, yesterday morning... Saturdays are tough because I study a lot. And so I leave Eva for long periods of time with the kids. And I try to get my message done so I can come home and spend the evening with the kids. And so yesterday I got up. I got the kids breakfast. Uh, I took care of them. Uh, and then I mowed the lawn because I hadn't... in. <clears throat> two weeks, which this time of year is a bad idea, yeah, and it had been raining, and my mower is not great, because I don't have money for a nice mower, um, and so it took me a little while, I got to the coffee shop about 9 o'clock, okay, and I usually hide out there, I throw my headphones on, I listen to my classical music, and I study, now, the studying started, it started strong, in fact, uh, it, was good. it was really good. It was really good. Um, at 11.30 at night last night, I uh, stopped. I, I, took, I took a break for dinner, but I kept studying. And I want to be honest with you, I am not sure exactly what I'm going to get to today. I'm just going to start preaching from God's Word, if that's all right with you. And we'll find out what happens. I think I have an idea about what I'm going to say. But we'll find out. And, uh, but I'm excited about what God showed me. But to communicate it is a whole other thing. And so I'm going to pray again for, for the Holy Spirit. I also want to mention that this will be my last week in Romans for a, for a little while. Because next week we begin the discipleship refresher. And I know that this has been communicated already. But I want to, I want to push this again. I want to be very clear uh, with you. That um, the discipleship refresher is intended... To, to get us to a place where we're, we're, we're refocusing uh, the mission and, and, and coming to a place where, once again, we are very, very serious about God's greatest command in terms of the commission for us. Like, what is the agenda? And, and we want to come into a place where we're all together speaking from, from the same page, okay? Uh, with the new material, with the new uh, discipleship material, there are some differences. And for those of us who've been discipling for a long time, um, we might feel like we, well, we've got our rhythm and we, and we know how to approach this. Man, that's exactly, when you feel that way, that's exactly when you need the refresher. Okay? This is the thing that we should be the most desperate for in this world is, uh, is to know God and to teach his people what he has taught us. Okay? And so um, we need to be about that. Now, now we understand, too, this, I don't want this to be confusing. It's nine total sessions. It's three weeks, but it's nine total sessions. Okay, main service, Kaya, and Tuesday night prayer for those three weeks are all going to be focused on this idea of discipleship, what God's word has to say about it. Yeah? So I want to throw that out there. Anybody who disciples who are want, or who wants to be discipled, man, I'm, I'm, I'm asking that you would really make sure you set aside the time to be a part of that. Cool? I know most of you already plan on it. I just want to make sure I hit it again. Let's pray. Let's, um, let's ask for... Christ's help as we get into verses 28 through 30 today. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, 
ah, I, I love you. And uh, sometimes, it's amazing, I can study your word so much and do so much reading and, and um, focusing on things that I know that are pressing, uh, like Romans chapter 8. Uh, but, um, and then I find myself at the end of myself where I really don't have, I don't know what to say except for um, I love you and I desire to be like you. And so Lord, today as we look at your word, would you help us to love you more and to live more like you? That's what we need. And, and God, that, that's what the world needs. That's why we're here. It's, it's what the world needs. This is something that is to be shared with every uh, living soul. And uh, we are dumb enough to believe that you're going to use us to do that work. Uh, it's just going to require uh, some faith and some patience on our part. But Lord, please um, call us. Call us ever forward, Lord. Call us to, to go into the darkest places with your light. Call us to be diligent in, in, in our times of quiet, to seek you and pursue you, that we might have something to offer in terms of overflow. We are weak. Uh, we are forgetful. Um, Lord, help us to lean on, on the monuments uh, that you've given us this weekend. We ask this in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So, in verses 26 and 27 of Romans chapter 8, we are looking at, uh, we looked at how God's uh, Holy Spirit intercedes for us. You guys remembering that? Intercedes for us on our behalf because we are weak. Now, now just to back up just a, a little bit, Romans chapter 8 overall is a chapter devoted to how God is, is called us, uh, what He's made us to be, and how He is showing us what it means to pursue Him regardless of the fact that we are sinful. Regardless of the fact that we are weak. Regardless of the fact that we face suffering in this life as Christians. Regardless of those things, God is calling us into greater relationship with Him, and He's showing us how He's helping us to live that out. And, and so in this case, what God says is help looks like the Holy Spirit taking our prayers, our weak prayers, uh, the, 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 the pains of our prayer, the sufferings of our prayer, and making them palatable for God the Father in heaven. Now who knows that they, when they pray, they pray selfishly. I mean, I'd like to say that when I was a young Christian or a young man that my prayers were particularly selfish, and they probably were, but, but, but I, I, would bet, I would bet that my prayer life now, at least in God's eyes, is still fairly selfish. And, and that I, I, I take my prayers and I bring them before Him with my preconceptions in mind. And at the end of the day, I guess it's a lot like maybe my studying. You know, a lot of times I study the Word and I've got these preconceptions and I'm thinking, well, this is what God's going to show me. <laughs> and I approach His Word that way and I think, well, God's going to show me this today as though I already know what He's up to. 
And when, I, when I, I'm at the end of it, I still just don't know anything except for the fact that God loves me. And when I walk through this life, and so often I find myself like assuming that I know what God's up to, but the truth is I'm left at the end of the day with nothing but this groaning inside me for God to redeem what he's adopted. I mean, and that's, that's the context here, is that, that it's been telling us that, man, living in this life is painful and difficult, and trial seems to be at every corner, and so often we don't know what to do, and all we're left with is these groanings inside of us that call out for something greater, that call out for God to take what he's already claimed. I mean, there's some days where I've, I mean, some days in particular that I can look back in my life and say, I just want to go home. I just, I just can't do it. And I'm left with this groaning deep inside of me that desires something greater. And God says, wait, 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 wait. Let me help you. Let me help you in that place. And his Holy Spirit comes and intercedes and take those things that we can't even utter with our lips, those general thoughts, those abstract ideas about knowing and loving God, and he takes them and he makes them plain before the Father in heaven. And God gets And he begins to move. And he begins to orchestrate our lives in such a way that even in the midst of trial, we can know that he's working on our behalf. And that's where we are. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know, we know, we perceive, we understand that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. I'm, we're going to camp out there for a minute. This tells us right here, he's telling the Romans that all things are going to work out for the Christian, for the believer, the one who's called according to His purpose. All things are going to work out. Now let's, let's look at this, because people comfort one another with these words all the time, don't they? Have you ever, have you ever heard, I mean, it's, it's, it's particularly grating when I hear a lost person say these words. It's all going to, it's going to work out. It's going to work out. Because the, the world says that to one another because they desperately want to believe. They desperately want to believe that their pain and their suffering and their trial is not vain. That it's, that it's not purposeless. That it has some greater point. And a lot of times, so what they do is they, they relegate their trials and their difficulties to some sort of idea of fate. Some sort of grand idea of karma. Right? And so what they do is the world comforts one another with words that go like this. It's going gonna, it's gonna to work out. You know, it's just going to work out. But let me tell you something. That promise is only for Christians. The promise that things are going to work out is reserved for one type of individual. And that's a person who's redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The world cannot comfort one another with those words. Because the truth is, things don't just work out. Sometimes depression leads to more depression. 
Sometimes depression leads to suicide. Sometimes family uh, difficulties do end up in just division. Families do just end up divided. Divorce does just happen. Life sometimes doesn't get better. And we all know it to be true, but yet sometimes we just find ourselves, the only words we can say, well, it's going to be okay. And that, that promise just isn't true. Unless you call yourself a child of God. The desire for every person, Christian or not, is that their suffering wouldn't be in vain. No one wants to believe that their pain is, purpose, uh, is purposeless. No one wants to believe that. Now for us as Christians, we can recognize that all around us is evidence that God is at work. We can, we can begin to see it. When, we're be, when we've been given spiritual eyes, God gives us the ability to see when things happen in our lives. We can, we can see God at work. You know, sometimes what we do is we try, to, we try to overanalyze what God's up to. And again, we presuppose upon him what he's doing. And that's a dangerous place to be. Let me explain it to you this way. Um, I'm, I'm not very mechanically inclined. Some of you know me well enough to know that. I'm not good with doing things. <laughs> yeah? Like, like, um, I, I don't know how to change the oil in my car. Right? Don't judge me, Uriah. The face you just made was exactly the face that I was afraid would happen. As a man, to admit that I don't know how to change my oil is not an easy thing to do. Okay, I don't know how to change the oil in my car. It's okay. Thank you, Eric. You, you know, sometimes I think when, when Eric and I seem so diametrically different in so many ways, and yet we have these kindred moments like right now. <laughs> Eric doesn't know how to do anything either. <laughs> I'm at peace. No, I'm, I mean, I'm just not mechanically inclined. You know, if, and to be honest, I think it has to do with the fact that I didn't have a dad around the house showing me how to do stuff. I just didn't have it. But I do have a stepdad now, and my stepdad is basically my mechanic. And when my car breaks down, I take my car to him. But, but does anybody have someone in their family that's their mechanic that, like, works on their car? So you might be able to relate to this. When I take my car to be worked on by my stepdad, I feel obligated like to not go inside into the air conditioning oh and sit down and piddle around and like like my mom will like make some pie and like she'll be like doting over me. And my stepdad's out in the garage just sweating, working on my car, and we both know for dang sure I'm not paying him. <laughs> Right? You know what I'm talking about, right? So what I do, my, my conviction, my conviction is, um, is to stand there with him while he works on my car. Now, if some of you have met my stepdad, his name is Mickey. And Mickey's a great name. And it fits him so good. Okay? It fits him so good. Um, my, my stepdad likes to talk. God love him. He loves to talk, okay? And so when I get out there with him and I get in the garage and he's working, he's got the car jacked up, he's underneath it, and he starts talking. And I'm not saying anything. 
I'm just, yeah, yeah. Mm, man. Okay, and when he's talking, what, he, what he's saying is, is he's walking me through every freaking thing that he's doing. Well, I just took this off, this carburetor. I just took out the catalytic converter. That's the fanciest, that's the fanciest part on a car, isn't it? Because of the name, catalytic converter. When I say it, I sound like I know what I'm talking about. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Um, I know, I, I think it was, a catalytic converter was stolen off my car once. Because, isn't there like, some, is there like copper in it or something? Wow, yeah. Oh, platinum. <laughs> is my catalytic converter worth more than my car? <laughs> okay. um, but, but my point is, is he starts talking and he starts telling me all the, all the details of what he's doing. And the truth is, the truth is, I don't need that information. I don't need to know everything that he's doing down there. I, it's good enough for me to know that he's doing the work. And here's my point to you. Is that it's good enough for me to know that God is working on my behalf. I don't have to ask him why or what or how or which way or where are we going. I don't need to be concerned with the details because I trust him explicitly. In verse 28, 28, what we get is a promise that he will work all things together for good for those that love him. We need not demand... That the mechanic tell us everything he's up to. You know, the whole book of Job, the whole book of Job is about a, a group of men sitting around asking God what he's up to. And at the end of the book, they all just sound kind of dumb. Key point number one. I don't even know... I don't even know, Gabe. Just do it, man. I don't even know. (laughs) You just do your best. Or not. Have you guys noticed how Mark Trotter gets so, like, angsty about his PowerPoints? He's like, slide! (laughs) Slide! (laughs) Waiting! Cut, who was it? You said cut Tad's hands off? Yeah, he said George Grace. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Guys, I love our AV team. I'm never going to threaten to cut your hands off. I might threaten you if my message doesn't get up from last week immediately. <laughs> but we'll do that later. We'll talk about that later. Here's key point number one. Key point number one. Positive outcomes in life are reserved for those who love God. Okay? Simple truth. Positive outcomes in life are reserved for those who love God. So this truth is reserved for people who truly love God. They're called according to His purpose. They're believers. They're Christians. 
Okay, now here's, here's where I'm going to take a little bit of a detour. Even as believers, and I think that this part of the message is going, to be, is going to convict us in terms of what we've gathered from this weekend. I, I pray it will. Even as believers, our love is often contorted by carnal perceptions of love. And when our, our, our perceptions of love get distorted in that way, we forget, we forget this truth. When our love gets off course and our understanding of love isn't right and it becomes carnal towards God, then we will lose this truth. Now let me, let me kind of expound on that. This week at All Church Retreat, we spent a lot of time addressing issues of affection and love, didn't we? We talked about that a lot. And the question is, do we love God the right way? Matthew 22, verse 37 says, Jesus said unto to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Okay, so the command is to love God. And so when we're asked, do we really love God? Of course our response for the Christian is going to be, yeah, I love God. And, and you know what? I know that you do. Like, I know that you love the Lord. But the question is, what happens to our love over time is it sometimes becomes very dangerous, the way that we love God. So often we say we love God because we define our love by what love feels like. We define our love by what love feels like. Now, now let me explain it this way. Who, who worshipped um, Friday night at All Church Retreat. Who busted a lung Friday night at All Church Retreat? You know, um, during that time of worship, crying out, great and mighty is our God, over and over again, you know, logic would, would say, man, I'm tired of saying that. This is exhausting. <laughs> we sing that phrase over and over and over again without ever feeling anything but just pure adoration. I mean I, I mean, I felt like I entered into that place where I could have just said that all night long. And it was such a great feeling. And I, and I love those moments of feeling the presence of God. I love it when, when my heart is warmed by God's presence. And a moment like that is a moment that we try so often to replicate. When God hasn't called us to, to, to rely on replicating that feeling of love. It's so great to have those monumental times, but it is important to understand that, that the love being described in Romans chapter 8 is not a love that is contingent on feelings, but love determined by whether or not we are going to believe God when things get hard. This whole chapter is about what, what things should be like when things get hard, when suffering comes, when trial comes. What should love look like? You know, love is mentioned in Romans 11 times. It's mentioned 310 times in your Bible. And there is so much to say about love, but we're going to talk about love in terms of what Romans chapter 8 is telling us. Okay? So, here's our next key point. True love produces unconditional faith. 
Okay. Now, does it produce feelings? Yes, of course it does. Sometimes it produces feelings. Love can feel awesome. But true love should also produce in us an unconditional belief in God. Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Faith worketh by love. And the scriptures do this several times in the New Testament where they tie faith and love together as reliance on one another. That love should produce faith and faith should produce love. The two things go hand in hand. And we find that again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. But let us who are of, uh, who are of the day be sober, sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love. Not the breastplate of love. Not the breastplate of faith. The breastplate of love and Faith. In other words, the breastplate guards what? Mm. And the breastplate needs to be about both love and what love produces. Faith. Because it's faith that guards our heart, that says, regardless of what happens, my circumstances will not dictate to me. How I feel or how I trust concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I've met with many Christians, particularly ones in their teens and in their 20s. Like most of my ministry life has been about investing in teenagers and people now really in their early 20s. And, 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 and the thing that I see that's consistent is so often when I'm counseling, the thing that I realize quickly is that what, what young people are looking for is love that feels really good. What they want is experience. They're convinced that that they're close to God uh, when they feel like they're close to God. And so what they do is they they seek out to create habits and and, and they create reliance on uh, recreating emotional experiences in which they felt close. They felt Warm and, and, you know, what is it that Sam says? Uh, warm and fuzzy or something like that, right? And, and the thing is about that is a lot of times those, those moments can't be recreated. Like those moments come as the Holy Spirit moves. And, and really, if we were sober-minded, what we'd recognize is that, man, that's a gift when that comes. But it's not what I rely on in terms of my love. If I'm consistently going from experience to experience, emotional high to emotional high, and I attribute love to those things, I'm going to be consistently let down. And my my faith is going to be a roller coaster ride. That approach to loving God is always intermittent, ebbing and flowing like a tide. It's a love that relies on on whether or not we can conjure up some sort of great experience. Can we conjure it up? And so we come to church. Sometimes you guys are let down if worship, if praise time isn't everything it needs to be. You know, this is funny. Like so often you hear people talking about when they're like church hopping and they're trying to decide what church they want to go to. 
What's the one thing that people always say in terms of their critique of churches? Well, I just didn't really like the worship. It's, it's the, young people say it all the time. I just wasn't into the worship. And you know why they say that? Is because they're looking for a cultural experience. They're looking for an emotional high when they go to church. And if they come to our church and they don't get that, then they're out the door looking for the one that, that will give them that, that feeling again. God forbid. God forbid that we are so selfish in our pursuits that we think that the only good that can come from knowing God is Him making us feel important. It's a wicked way of thinking. And you know what? We all do it. You know why? Because our love in our worldly life is reliant on physical affection. We, we genuinely think, we even talk about this. We all know it's common in culture. When we talk about love, what we're talking about is sex. What we're talking about is... How do I cover this? Listen, we talk about getting off. It's a pornographic relationship when we're talking about love in the world. It's fleshly. It's carnal. And we bring that into our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we expect that anytime we meet with God, that he's supposed to make us feel a certain way. And I'm telling you right now, that's super dangerous. And if you leave camp really, really, really high and really excited because of how you felt, and you don't bring into that the sobriety of daily living then you are in danger of losing what God gave you and what he called precious. And that monument he built will be long forgotten. It'll, it'll feel so far away just a few days from now. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Love that is, is passion-seeking generally expects the wrong things from God. And that type of love demands immediate happiness and fulfillment, which is never promised to the believer. So the next key point is this. Those that love God with feelings seek momentary fixes. But those that love God in truth seek perfect conclusions. Those that love God with feelings seek momentary fixes, momentary highs, But those that love God in truth and in faith, they seek and they look for and and they trust in a perfect conclusion to their trials, to their suffering, to their difficulty. The right kind of love tells us that regardless of what is happening, I know, I know that God is going to work it out for my good. You know, I I like to think that my relationship with my wife, with Eva, is such that if we were faced with a trial, maybe maybe one day we face a real financial trial, something crazy happens, or, or there's an illness in our family, God forbid, where things just seem like, like I can't even see the next step ahead of me. You know, trial feels like that sometimes. It feels like I can't even, I don't even know what the next step is, and all I have is is like enough light to maybe take that step, but I don't know what's beyond that, you know? Trial feels like that sometimes. Suffering feels like that sometimes. 
where we boxed ourselves in terms of our sinful life, where we found ourselves really distant from God, and we want to find our way back, sometimes all he gives us is enough light to take that first step of faith. And, and life feels like that sometimes. You know, sometimes I think, you know, if that was to ever happen in, in my family, then my wife would love me, love me so much that she would have faith that I could guide my family in the right direction, even not knowing what the outcome will be. That her love for me would be such that she would trust my leadership. And, and when I say, okay, guys, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but we're going this way. That she wouldn't need to ask me the details. She wouldn't nag me for a plan. That she wouldn't ride me to know every little nuance or thought. You know, I probably wouldn't be able to give it to her. I would like to believe that she would love me and trust me so much that if I said, let's go this way, she would follow. And that's how life with God should be. Our love for God should be such that we're not trusting that he's going to give us every little detail, every little bit of information that would set our mind at ease, but we know him well enough to know that no matter where we're going, it's right. So let's back up just a little bit. And I want to give you a few points about love in Romans chapter 8. Can we do that? This is really all I know that I'm doing, and then we'll be done. I think, I think we'll be out of time at that point, okay? So, so here we go. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with glory, which shall be revealed in us. Okay, what is this saying? What is this, how is this framing love for us? Love says, love for God says, or understands that temporal pain in light of eternity is no big deal. I can endure one who loves God understands, that temporal, understands their temporal pain in light of eternity. And we've talked about this a little bit already. But I want to talk about it in terms of our love for God. If we really love God, we know that the suffering that he allows us to endure is, first of all, he's made a way for us to handle it. He's promised us that. He's also promised that, that, that anything that we endure, Christ had to endure also. And this is just part of our inheritance He's working, right? It's just temporal. There's a life that's coming that's bigger. We know that from, from Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. That promise is given to us. Romans chapter 8, verse 24 says, For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet, uh, uh, why doth he yet hope for? And so what that means is, that, that looks like that dark place where all you can do is take that one step all you've been given in terms of information from God is that first step of faith. You can't see afar off because it's, you know, hope. Hope isn't determined on whether or not you can see the beginning from the end. Yeah? yeah. One who loves God understand, uh, understands that, that God is, uh, or sorry, one who loves God has sustained faith in promises that are momentarily unfulfilled. Okay, so what, what does that mean? That means if I'm in a dark room, I know that God is going to lead me to the good place, even though I can't see it. Right? A sustained faith in promises that are, that are momentarily unfulfilled. I don't, have to, I don't have to know, or I don't have to have the answers, or I don't have to have fulfillment in this moment to know that God is going to make things right. 
That's real hope, is faith in what's coming. Okay, we don't have time, but Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7 is a reference. 1 Timothy 4, 8 um, is a reference for that. Those are promises that God gives us. that we, we, need, we know what's coming. We know what's coming. We don't need to have things fulfilled right now. Things don't have to be fixed. Romans chapter 8, verse 25 says, But if we hope for what we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. So number three, one who loves God doesn't need a timeline to know resolution is coming. If we so often want a timeline, don't we? We want the deeds, Right? Uh, is anybody here a control freak? Blake, raise your hand. <laughs> oh, he's busy taking notes, so he doesn't have to raise his hand. He's too busy controlling. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Like, like a lot of us, especially men, we feel like we need all the answers. We, like, we need to have everything worked out. We, we feel more masculine, and we feel more important when we, we know everything. And we don't need to know everything. You know, a person who loves God doesn't need to know, you know, I, I mean, some moms are this way. Has anybody ever, ever had a mom who, like, laid out their entire day for them every day? They're like, don't forget. Yeah, yeah, Christine's like that. Like, mom's got the whole day worked out, and you just, you're just long for the ride, right? And, uh, and so, you, you know, we don't need that from God to know that he's working. We don't need that. We, need, we just need patience. Okay, there's some, so there's some verse references there for you. Uh, Psalm 130, uh, verses 5 and 6. Isaiah 40, 31. James 5, 7. And Psalms 37, 7. Okay, now Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Here we are. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. One who loves God is satisfied with simple promises regardless of complex and painful circumstances. We think because the situation is complex, we need a complex answer. We think that because our suffering is so egregious that we, we, need, we, need, the, we need the specificities of the plan. But one who loves God is satisfied with the simplicity of the promises of his word. You know, God gives promises in his Bible that are intended to be used for every Christian in the entire world. You know, it would be amazing if one day you opened up the Bible and there was a book in there called Kindle. You know? Daniel. The, oh, wait. There is a book of Daniel. <laughs> Daniel Fry. The book of Daniel Fry. And you went there and it told you and it laid out the entire plan. That would be great. That ain't happening. Okay? That ain't happening. But what he did give you is his mind. And his mind for you gives you promises that you can rely on and hold on to. They're simple promises that apply to all Christians according to his will. And his, and his will should be good enough. And his promises should be good enough, even in their simplicity, to know that you can just say, you can just say, I love you guys so much, I'm along for the ride. I'm along for the ride. So here's the key question for you, is do you love God with your feelings or your faith? Our society has relegated love to feelings. And feelings are important, but they are not the primary qualifier in a love relationship. A love relationship should be informed by the belief that no matter what happens, you will remain committed to the vows of that relationship. 
He is faithful and he is true. You either believe it or not. And if your love for him is contingent on whether or not you feel like he's faithful, well, you're in big trouble. His promises are sure. You know, when I open the face of a, a, me- a mechanical watch, like an old pocket watch, and I look at what's happening there, I cannot explain it. When I see the gears working in conjunction with one another, and I see things ticking, it's beyond me. I, I, I don't get it. Okay? I'm not a mechanical engineer. If I took the watch apart and I was a mechanical engineer and I was brilliant the way some of you are, maybe I'd get it. You know what? It's good enough to me for me to know that the watch is telling time. I'm a simple man. And our faith should be such that we, we know, I mean, peruse the scriptures. It's a complex book. There's, there's a lot going on in there. And, and you know what? It doesn't contradict itself in any way. It's perfect. Written by so many authors over so many years. It's perfect in every way, the way it fits together. And I don't, I don't need to know God's every plan and every move for my life to know that he's at work. And what happened this weekend at the retreat? If you look at that thing through the lens of your feelings, nothing will be gained. But if you look at what God did this weekend in terms of truth and faith in him, well, man, you know what? You're in for a ride. So I'm not going to begin the bit on predestination today. (laughs) I'll probably hold off on refuting Calvinism, if that's okay with you guys. Praise God that that clock is wrong. Because <laughs> you guys might be angry at me. That clock is wrong. <laughs> Don't trust that clock. That clock is the Book of Mormon. <laughs> okay, so... Um, sorry, sorry. I'm going to give an invitation right now. Okay? Here's the invitation. Here's the invitation. Do you know that you're a Christian whose love is based on feelings? And if it is, let's die to that. Let's die to that. And let's choose to believe in God and what He's doing. And that His love is so great for us that even when we don't know the details, and we don't know every little bit, that, that the jot and tittle of His word is good enough for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this weekend. Thank you for loving me. Um, God, thank you for giving me the opportunity to love you in return. And I pray that when my love for you is wrong and it's misguided, and um, I, I look for you, I look to you um, to to. Make me feel happy at the neglect of joy. That you would correct me and show me that your love for me is so great and your promises for me are so great that I need not worry about tomorrow. I need not worry about my job. 
I need not worry about relationships that seem broken and unfixable. I need not worry about um, my financial situations. I need to know that, Lord, perfect love says, uh, I worship you in spirit and in truth. And that obedience does build love in my heart. And fear for you and, and, and the choice to walk in your ways will create the love. Foundation uh, is being truth that I need to get me through this life. And so God, just help us. Help us to temper our emotions in light of your truth. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.